Hello, and welcome to the Prevenovate podcast by WorkRight Northwest. In this series, we will talk to experts in academia, industrial health and safety, elite athletics, and sports medicine to learn where innovation and prevention collide. We will highlight examples of how to properly prepare the industrial athlete to work safely and discuss the lessons we have learned in both industry and in athletics that we can use to drive prevention. Those that move for a living are industrial athletes, and we want to combine the best evidence from sports as well as from industry to guide best practices, empower the industrial athlete, and align everyone towards a higher level goal of prevention. Have you ever wondered why your workforce isn't bridging your safety training to actual actions? Have you ever been frustrated with all the hats you wear as a part of safety? One of the challenges we have is generating true understanding of the information taught, as well as the consistency of the message while engaging the workforce to care about their safety and retain the information. Can we make safety more engaging? In this episode, we talk with Rachel Walla, who is an experienced safety professional who believes that innovation can change the industry. As an industrial safety and health consultant, she's worked to help businesses improve safety, create a positive company safety culture, and achieve OSHA compliance. Rachel's goal is to make safety simple, engaging, and accessible by using innovative technologies and a relatable approach. Hi, and welcome to the Warren Northwest Industrial Sports Medicine Podcast. I'm really excited to welcome Rachel Walla to our conversation today, and I really want to pass the torch right away to her and let her talk more about some of her key experiences and what's got her to this point, and then we'll dive further into our discussion. Rachel, welcome. Hi, Nate. It's really good to be here. So, um... I am an industrial safety and health consultant. I've been in the industry about eight years now, and I've worked in construction and manufacturing, both in the U.S. and internationally. And what my goal is now is to make safety more relatable for employees. So I'm working a lot on outreach and doing things like videos, training, anything that we can do to kind of engage employees at that basic level where we can really develop understanding. Well, fantastic. And I think that lends well right into, into what we want to talk about today. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of dive right into some, some great questions. And I think we're going to have um, some really good dialogue around the, kind of that cross between innovation and, and how do we drive engagement and, and create uh, a level playing field across the So we'll, we'll kick things off here. And, and I'm curious to open it up to you. What are, what are most companies doing right now in the field of safety or, or revolving around safety that, that they're doing well. And, and on the flip side, what are some of those opportunities for improvement or growth? Okay, so I would say from my perspective, OSHA has really evolved a lot, even in the time that I've been in the industry. But as you know, OSHA has only been around a couple of decades. So it was instituted in 1972, and it has evolved hugely since then. Um, the workplaces of the 70s aren't the same as the workplaces of today. And so what a lot of companies are getting right is safety is built into systems. It's built into the very engineering of of the whole institution. You know, it's very much from the top down and bottom up, it is an essential core value of most great companies now. And what we're seeing is, especially companies that are doing well are talking the talk. You know, if they are having some sort of a broadcast from the CEO, one of the first things that a good CEO touches on is safety. And that is throughout the entire organization. So those are really great things to see that there has been a fundamental shift in how companies think about safety. And I think that was really a necessary shift that needed to happen. 
some of the things that I think are still hanging people up when it comes to safety is the culture of safety, which we really talk a lot about now. But that's because it's really where the rubber meets the road. Because you have great policies and procedures, you can really understand OSHA's requirements for your business. But if employees aren't engaged and aren't adopting safety, then it really doesn't ever go anywhere. And so there's still a lot of gaps in companies and understanding how they can make that work for their organization. And although we are getting better, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done in that area. And that's great insight. And, and I think what comes to mind for me is how do we get away? Obviously, policies and procedures are, are necessary. It's what creates the structure and framework for a good safety program. But how, what do you think is that, that not necessarily magic recipe, but, but tangible things that uh, stakeholders can, can implement so that we get people away from just policy, driving policy and getting them more uh, inspired, right, to make the, the right decisions. Influencing their decision-making is really what I'm getting at. How do you think, where's the bridge there? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. And really, that's, for me, what makes safety a fascinating industry in. Because, you know, you've got this hard-sided technical part of things, and you need to kind of have the PR skills to tie that in to make it relatable to people. So it's an interesting thing. Like, if you think of an environmental department, which often safety and environmental are lumped into the same sort of area in a business, but they're drastically different. Environmental regulations are typically managed, uh, you know, through policies and procedures that are more handled from an engineering perspective, where a lot of times safety really comes down to individual choices that people make. So for safety to be successful, you really have to be engaging with people at that level. Um, and so the interesting thing is we need to get to the point where we are really getting people to where they care about their personal safety. And so there's a lot of different ways that we can do that. And one is we have to make it understandable and relatable to employees at all levels. And I think that the interesting way to do that is they say in adult education, if employees don't understand, if adults don't understand why they need to do something, they don't do it. Mm -hmm. And so one of those key contacts that you can make with employees is take the time to explain something and show it to them in a visual way, because most people who work in the trades are actually more visually inclined when they learn something. They're going to mm -hmm. get it if they can see it. So what we want to do is create that sort of bridge to understanding because that's where the behavior shift changes. Mm -hmm. So like as an example of that, I would give you is I've worked on construction sites where we talk about asbestos. I mean, this has been so such a big deal in industry for so long that sometimes it does fall on deaf ears. And guys will say, yeah, that's asbestos. It's not a big deal. Like I'm not breathing it in. Sure. You know, and so we'll talk about that. And the problem is, they haven't really had the sort of training that's going to generate understanding about how asbestos actually works once it gets inhaled, what it does to your body, and what you can do to really protect yourself. Like a lot of the training will focus on it, but at a very high level. And it's more based on what the rules are and you have to do as an employee. Mm -hmm. And I think for most of us, you know, when we are communicated to in a way that says this is what the rule is and this is what you have to do, it's not a message that really is a friendly message or one that we want to take on personally, you know, so generating that understanding is what shifts people's behaviors. Absolutely. And do you, do you think it's from the way the content is initially constructed, you know, obviously you're looking at a bunch of different audiences, you know, different learning styles, settings, industries. Is it the responsibility of, you know, those that are creating content to speak 
those languages? Or does someone need to own and champion driving those messages and, and, and perhaps putting it into a different context that is easier or more digestible? Is a combo of both? What, what's your perspective there? Well, I would say like my perspective on that and from my experience in industry is that you want a consistent message. And so if we hand off this message to a lot of different people, it's going to lose its consistency. And you really need that across an organization. So what I think is the best solution is to have kind of that core message communicated through things that are great communication tools like videos and infographics, you know, those sorts of those sorts of things. But then also you kind of need to have a sort of train the trainer where you take that message and you bring it down through the groups. So for instance, they always say in industry, like the person with the most influence over an employee is their direct supervisor. And that's true of all levels across a group. You know, so what you want to have is like that same consistent message, maybe not coming from the safety department. It should be developed there. But, you know, if you hand that down through an organization and you're able to have like the core message the same, and then the managers are able to answer questions and do that sort of training with their direct employees, it becomes a much more organic message that people are absorbed. I, I get you. And, and really what you're talking about from, from what I'm picking up is it's about preparation and it's preparation at all levels. It, it takes a, a blend of ownership, right, in delivering these messages and making sure it's consistent, but it's also empowering your first, you know, your first level supervisors in that scenario you brought up to really carry and engage and, and reach down to ensure that there's, you know, comprehension and, and that it translates actually into the behavior or the choices that are made. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that happens with this often is that, you know, a safety manager role is like the safety manager and the whole safety team is typically wearing a lot of different hats. And so mm -hmm. it's really hard to find that time to develop high quality training. Mm -hmm. It's just something that they don't often get the time to do. And sometimes, don't even really have the skill set to do. It just depends on your background and you know where your where your own talents are. And so it's one of those things that I'm hoping to help organizations to overcome and to do better with because we don't always have the in-house the in-house sort of pool of people that we need in safety to be able to mm -hmm. do that. And it becomes a real challenge, especially if you're more of a technical thinker, um, mm -hmm. which some safety professionals are great at the rule book and great making sure that all the requirements are met. And then, you know, they sort of need some buffering when it comes to doing that sort of outreach piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. How, from your perspective and, and experience, how accessible are good quality training materials? You know, you, you mentioned OSHA in terms of it, it, it being established in the 70s and it's evolved and grown immensely since then. You know, has there been this correlation as well with, with the accessibility that, you know, employers have to this information, or is it, or is it more kind of patriotary a little bit, if that kind of makes sense? You know, are, are, are companies left to their own devices, so to speak, to say, well, here's the bare minimum, and let's see what we can do internally? Do they reach externally? What's, what's been your observation there? Yeah, I think we're definitely left to our own devices. You know, unlikely <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> safety's never really been the cool thing, you know. Sure. And uh, OSHA has always been an organization that uh, struggles kind of with funding and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So they do their best, but it's not like there's a lot of outreach materials generated. Sure. For you guys being based in Washington, some state OSHA programs are really great at helping employers with, you know, generating free training, free documentation, those sorts of things. But that's more the exception than the rule. Okay. 
Well, and I think you just you pivoted right into my next train of thought, and that is is what is currently moving the needle with safety training? You mentioned a little bit, and I'd like to to delve into some of the innovations and you know maybe some developments in terms of tools and resources and whatnot. But but just blanket statement: what's currently moving the needle right now? What's working well? Well, I think what is working well is that organizations are are taking on safety in a different way than they have before. There's more training. Um, there's a lot more of the learning management systems, you know, like Convergence, Blackboard, those sorts of things. The problem with that is, you know, we know that training on a computer isn't that interactive. Yep. So how do we make it more interactive? And I think and I hope that in the next 10 years, we're going to see safety training change a lot because some of the things that are coming up are the availability and the ease of making videos. So that's going to change. Um, videos are a great way to illustrate a point, especially to an audience. You know, videos leave a long-lasting impact, especially if they're done well. So that's one. Uh, the next is virtual reality. Um, mm, some okay. organizations are already starting to take this on where they're doing safety training that's all virtual reality-based. And if you think about that, like imagine you go into a training and you're able to see what a confined space entry is like and like actually act out a scenario of if there is an emergency in that space, what your next steps are, how you evacuate, and then you can actually go through and with your partners kind of uh, talk about what went well and what went wrong all through a virtual reality setting. I think it could drastically change how employees interpret their safety training. Yeah, absolutely. Making it tangible and real and creating scenarios or real life, um, you know, uh, capturing kind of snapshots of, of what, uh, their workplace would look like in, in various, um, you know, different states and then having them work through and, and be problem solvers really is what it gets to. And that would be, in my mind, way more engaging or, or would, would, I think, add a different element in terms of the overall experience. So, th so maybe that's, that's the next question. And, and you rolled right into it in terms of uh, speaking to some of these key innovations in terms of safety training, the learning management systems and the diversity there, the virtual reality training. What are, what are some other things that you think and maybe it's not even a reinvention of, or maybe it's a reinvention of the wheel, so to speak, or improving an element. But what are some maybe other innovations that you're seeing trending right now in terms of safety training? Well, I think one thing that's really changing things is just like the availability of smartphones and apps. Um, it's not just training, but it's recording so much more data than we ever have before as well. And so now, instead of going into an auditorium or some sort of a conference room somewhere and doing your safety training, a lot of times you're doing it via a screen one way or another. And so we have so much more availability of information. Things like um, procedures, when you need to look up a procedure, often like employees get training once a year. So you will have forgotten some safety element of that procedure. And the ability to ask questions and reach out and get an answer that's much quicker in real time is probably one of the best benefits of this whole thing is we're able to just respond so much faster than we were if companies will adopt the technology. Absolutely. And, and on that point, too, in terms of data outcomes, right, it's exponential in terms of what we, what we can pull. Do you think that using data for maybe those that are more just visual or, or, or situation-based learners uh, well, can data tell a compelling story, you know, in, in construction, for instance, you know, at the individual employee level? Can we create some, you know, congruency there where they, they see the data and it's like, aha, bing, you know, bingo, there's the answer type of deal? I think it depends on what kind of a personality or what kind of a learner you're working with, to be honest. Like, I think for me, I love data and data can tell a great story. But I think we also have to tell it 
as a story. You know, it's a story of a person. It's a story of a group of people. Data is never just number. And I think that sometimes we miss the opportunity to correlate the number and the story. Um, And really, people are so story-based. We all remember stories of people better than we're ever going to remember a number for almost, and that's true of most people. So what we want to do is want to use that data to tell an engaging story that is relatable. Yep. And that goes right back to what you were saying in the first place, too, is that's that's how we bridge the gap or get away from it only being about policy or being perceived as policy procedure and how do we create that point of engagement, you know, really at all levels. Um, and, and so I, I think that's a perfect way circling back to that. The, the point really is to drive the engagement piece. Yeah, I'm, definitely. I'm glad you spoke to it. Yeah, and I think I think one thing that has kind of held us back in safety is a little bit is this idea that it's boring or it's dull. And, you know, if you look around, like uh, the news often gets into like deep into policies like U.S. policy, mm-hmm. uh, how the government runs complicated rules that not the average person really grasps that quickly. And then sure. you look at the history channel and they can they can make mundane issues or mundane events in history and tell a story in a way that's so compelling. Yep. And so I think that we need to get over that as safety professionals, that whole thought that this isn't something that is relatable or interesting to employees. Because when we talk about our own personal safety and health, like, what is more interesting to an individual than that? That's very true. Getting, getting away from, you know, transactional interaction. Hey, did you complete your safety training compliance check? Yes or no. And getting really kind of towards that transformational side of the spectrum where people are really inspired and, and through the stories and a little bit of sprinkling of data to really justify the rationale for the, the, the systems and the reasons why we've chosen to go in this direction. I think you're absolutely right is, is getting, getting back to, uh, again, the engagement piece, but telling that story, I think, is, is spot on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think we all are ready for a shift from the focus to be on policy and procedures and more of a focus on people. Yeah, you bet. And, and when you focus on the person, the individual, you take, you, you take general information and you can make it relatable, then, then I think that, in, that individual feels your better chances of getting that empowerment and, and people walking away feeling like implement what was just discussed. And in any effort on that front is, is, I think, a way to really push the needle. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think when you, when you do that focus, like you said, people walk away feeling more empowered, but they also feel like they matter. And having that sort of relationship between employee and employer where the employee feels that they play an important role and they matter, that changes the behavior drastically. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and to me, it's time spent. It, you, can, you can talk through you know, an engaging story, which is great. You can talk through metrics and numbers. But I think really what it comes down to is, and you said it earlier too, is, is owning it, is everyone has a, has a key vested interest, you know, in, in making things to be successful. But when individuals feel that, that they've been invested into and it's a consistent message, that the likelihood for, you know, that good outcome that you're looking for from an you know, employer compliance standpoint seems to be, I think, better, a better effect. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you on that. Now, and I want to kind of just quickly pivot, but staying on innovation and staying in, in, on the page of uh, identifying some of these key buckets that are helping to uh, make the safety information and, and, and uh, you know, what we're talking about more relevant. How, how can we ensure that these innovations or these changes uh, translate into an effective training experience for employees? And experience is that key word that I, I really, I think you're, you uh, resonate with is, is being very important. But can you tell us 
how does that translate into it being effective when we deliver it? So I think that, you know, we can use technology to our advantage and we are definitely in a place where we need to be doing that and we need to adopting these changes in the workplace. But we can't forget that people make all the difference. So although you can generate a consistent message using some great technology and some innovative ways of presenting that message, it's still down to is there a conversation going on between the manager and the employee? You know, are employees engaged enough that they're going to ask questions if there's a point that they missed? Or are they just going to sit there and watch the training mm -hmm. and then leave without any further thoughts to it? So I think that no matter what you do as a safety professional, you always want to be encouraging that sort of engagement at all levels. Yeah, absolutely. And and maybe this is on topic, maybe not. But in your experience, um, when when you deliver or you support or you when you're consulting and you get people to have some of those aha moments, they they start bridging the gap and and really connecting with their people. Do you see correlation in in change in injury trends, right? And, and maybe we're talking about some assumed values here, but do you feel like when an employer at all levels is driving engaging content and conversation and making people feel, um, you know, really that they're that they have purpose, like they mean they they matter, right? Are you seeing some good outcome in terms of people uh, of general uh, workforce response in terms yeah. of uh, improved metrics? Yeah, I think that's a good question because I think what people initially expect is the minute that you improve uh, training and you improve understanding is that the incident rate will go down and that there will be like a big turnaround in an organization. What are some of the first symptoms of sort of that bad safety culture healing is that you get better reporting. You get better reporting of incidents, mm -hmm. which sometimes causes a slight increase mm -hmm. in the incidents reported. Um, usually that's very temporary, but I mean, it's something that people need to be aware of. You will also mm -hmm. get, um, you know, more reporting of noted hazards, which means the business has some more to work on. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, a responsible employer will look at that as, hey, this is great. Now employees are reporting the hazards that they encounter, and we have the opportunity to intervene and fix them before somebody becomes injured. But if you're dealing with an organization that maybe isn't quite ready for that, they'll view it as more work. So, yeah, mm -hmm. we've done all this work on safety, and now everybody's just talking about the hazards. And so an organization that isn't, isn't quite ready will view that as um, more of a complaint, which it is not. <laughs> yeah, yeah know, absolutely. It's a positive. So it should be that you give it a little bit of time, you know, you give it a year, give it maybe two years, and you will definitely see your incident rates go down. And the severity by far should be going down as well. Mm -hmm. But I think that organizations need to understand, like, the journey to world-class safety is a journey and there are some things that are going to happen along the way that are good, but that also mean that the organization has work to do. Mm -hmm. And that's true in anything too. When you, when you grow and stretch and, and you are faced to have faced with some introspection about maybe we do have some challenges and are we ready to make a fundamental shift? And if so, I think, yeah, driving that process is really what's going to mature a program and really get you to a place where, you know, you, you start to see some of those correlative, you know, changes or improvements in terms of metrics. And that's a, just a really good point that enduring it, right, even that first get-go, being committed, I think is what you're saying up front uh, with some of those changes and following through will definitely lead you some, some, to some good success. Yeah, it definitely does. Cool. But I also always say, you know, if you're going to undertake this big job of really improving employee safety, which is so important, you will get the skeletons out of the closet too. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good reminder. That I, yeah, that is that's great. That makes sense.
And, and I think you started to bring it up perfectly. You mentioned symptoms, and that really leads me into my next question. And, and I would love for you to kind of put your, your pseudo doctor hat on for a second. How would you uh, diagnose a disengaged workforce towards safety compliance? And are there symptoms? And you did mention that there are, but are there symptoms organizations can look out for proactively? Yeah, I think that some of the biggest symptoms that you'll see are, you know, it's always supposed to be in the top down and the bottom up. So when you get speech from a major leader in the company, are they mentioning safety? And then when you go down to the, the shop level, the floor level, what are the employees talking about and how are they viewing safety? You know, are they reporting hazards? And if a hazard is reported, how long is it taking the organization to actually address that? These are pretty simple things that are easy to start a, sort of start getting an idea around how the organization is looking at safety in total. And then digging into like incident investigations is always really fascinating because you can tell so much about an organization by how they view an incident. So, of course, like a good organization, they'll look at an incident. They will look at it as a learning opportunity. They will try Mm -hmm. to prevent the issue from happening again. And a poor organization will look at it and they will find somebody to blame. And even in a good organization, there are some times where disciplinary action does come out of an incident investigation. But overall... We want to be seeing that employees are open to talking about safety, they're knowledgeable in safety, they're bringing up concerns, they're reporting things. And then the really great thing is when employees are offering improvement ideas. And so when those things come up, how, how long does it take an organization to sort of get on the ball and actually implement their, those improvements? Obviously, like some are going to take quite a while because they involve engineering solutions or, or eliminating the hazard altogether. But a lot of these things can be implemented quite quickly if you've got a dedicated workforce. Yeah, and that's a great point. Something that comes to mind, too, is how do employers manage those expectations? You know, I think in my experience, too, I've, I've in, in engaging with workers, frontline workers, and, you know, they've identified a particular issue and they just feel like, oh, you know, I've, I've, I'm blue in the face in terms of how many times I've said this is a hazard or an issue. What can, even if it is an, uh, you know, a, a big endeavor or an overhaul from an engineering standpoint and the fix takes a while, what can employers do, first level managers, coworkers, how can people band together to kind of manage those expectations with some of those harder fixes? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been there. I think anybody who's in safety has been there where you're mm-hmm. trying to encourage employees, you know, and they've got this great, great observation and even maybe some solutions for it. And then nothing happens, mm-hmm. you know, and we're trying to talk through the frustrations. And it's so hard because you want to encourage this. But one thing that I've found has really worked well is communicating, you know, communicating the progress. This is where we're at with this. This is how long we expect it to take. And, you know, doing that involves the employees in the process, which really they should be a part of it. You, bet. you know, if somebody has cared enough to bring up a concern They should be part of the solution as well. And so if we can involve them, invite them to the meetings where we talk about, you know, the new engineering plan and ask them, what does this sound like? Is this something that you think would solve the problem? And then talk about, okay, this is the stage we're at with the drawings. We're looking for a vendor who can actually fix this problem or provide the equipment that we need. You know, just those sort of updates really give people a lot of satisfaction it's just more work to communicate it. So you really have to be on the ball with going out and doing those outreach sort of meetings. And really what you're saying is transparency is one of the, the funnel factors in, in managing those expectations and keeping the engagement. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, okay. absolutely. That's a good word for it. Okay. Okay. Well, fantastic. Well, I, I want to be uh, cognizant of our time and, 
And I think the, the purpose of what we want to achieve in these conversations is really some, some industry pearls or some takeaways. So, Rachel, when you're talking about essentials regarding the blend of innovation and safety to really truly enhance compliance and, and overall engagement, could you leave us with two or three pearls or takeaways that our listeners can walk away and, and really implement in their, in their daily uh, lives? Yeah, I think one thing that I would say that I see organizations do is we've been a little bit slow to innovate in safety. And we don't want to lean entirely on technology, but this is a tool that we should use to really reach people at a deeper level than we've been able to before. So I would say um, a lot of organizations are, are now kind of slowly picking up that ball and starting to run with it. Um, I, I would say as new technologies come out, let's be faster. I mean, let's okay. pick it up and let's let's utilize it. But remember, it's a tool. So the second thing I would say is don't lean on technology. You know, it's still in that conversation and that human interaction. So never leave that piece of it behind because that is essential. Well, fant- fantastic. And, and Rachel, I, I really sincerely appreciate you taking the time today and sharing your experience. Some of these key insights with us. Uh, I've certainly enjoyed the conversation, and I, I'm, and I believe that it's going to be extremely valuable for those that are in some, you know, perhaps growth opportunities to incorporate some of these things and, and hopefully drive some success at their sites. And, uh, and with that, if, if there are listeners that, that want to reach out to you and get some more information or just engage further dialogue with you, what's the best way they can get in touch with you? Yeah, so the best way to reach me is my website. It's Ally Safety, A-L-L-Y. Um, and also contact me on LinkedIn. Well, fantastic. Rachel, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. To our listeners, thank you for joining us and helping on our mission to educate and empower the industrial athlete. Please reach out through our website, WorkRight Northwest, for feedback, questions, or more information on who we are and what we can do for you. We have resources for clinicians, safety professionals, and industrial athletes, and often post on topics we find useful within the industry on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram. You can also find great videos and instruction on our YouTube page. Come check us out. We hope to hear from you soon.